You're listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. For more information, please visit our website at everynationgta.org. Well, uh, good morning, everybody. And uh, boy, seeing that uh, video, I could really get on my own roll right about now. And uh, uh, my kids are saying, Dad, no, no, no. So anyway, happy Father's Day to all the dads out there again. Uh, we're going to continue our series from the book of Acts, um, and it's going to be called Divine Placement. That's the title today, but uh, it's so important to to be in that right place, the right person, right purpose. And uh, some of you know that uh, we spent a number of years in the United States uh, down in our Every Nation uh headquarters in Nashville, Tennessee. And we were, after we started U Church in Calgary, uh, we were there nine years and we really had experienced a divine placement, a, a shift even, where uh, we were asked to come down to Nashville um, by our, you know, my spiritual fathers, uh, Rice Brooks and one of the co-founders of our movement. And when we got down to Nashville, we, we weren't exactly sure what the whole purpose of it was. But we experienced something pretty fantastic, uh, just in every dimension of our, our lives, particularly in the church and the ministry that we were part of. It just flourished. Uh, the church was still a good-sized church, um, maybe around 600. But um, when I arrived there and Rice Brooks became the senior pastor and Tim Johnson was just uh, wrapping up his football career with the Washington football team, he had won a Super Bowl, when the three of us had just descended and, and, and starting in the early 2000s, just that triad, that team together. And then with all the other leaders that poured in, we saw just an explosive growth and a mighty move of God where the church zoomed up in the next few years to 3000. We ended up seeing so many students get saved and come into campus ministry. We were sending off teams. I remember the first team we laid hands on and sent them off to Auckland, New Zealand, some of the top leaders in our church. And they ended up planting other churches there and on to Australia. And we ended up starting some new churches in Canada, even though my, my plate was full. Uh, <laughs> we ended up helping start in um, Vancouver and then Montreal. Uh, it was just an amazing time. And then that same church, our Every Nation church there called Bethel, laid hands on Sheila and I and our family and sent us out back to Canada. And we're able to help resources for that move and send us out with their blessing. And here we are back in Canada. Um, so like I said, today we're going to continue in our unstoppable series in the book of Acts. But when we talk about the power of divine placement, uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in just a moment that really highlights it even historically. Um, we're, it's going to talk about the church in Antioch. And so before we read the passage, I just want so that you have some context if you're not don't know about the church of the historic church in Antioch. Um, here's a, a photo here of uh, for the Antioch church. So it, it was about 500 kilometers north of uh, Jerusalem. And uh, from there, so some of the early churches uh, were started. Here's where it is in the next slide. Um, this is where it is in modern day. So it's actually right in the southern part of Turkey. It's it's not called Antioch anymore. I forget the name of the, uh, the name of the city now, but it's still a city in Turkey. Um, Antioch uh, was very um, important uh, 
city in the in the ancient Greco-Roman world. It was actually the third largest church uh, th- church city. So uh, after Rome and Alexandria was Antioch. So it was like you know, top three largest cities uh, in the whole world. In fact, its density was higher than the density of some modern-day megacities like Mumbai, uh, India, or, say, Manila, or Cairo. The density, uh, even Hong Kong, the density was greater there um, than these cities that we're familiar with. It was also very multi-ethnic. There was people from, uh, there were Greeks, Romans, Jewish, Arabic, Persians, and some historians say that they even traced some people from China and India uh, in Antioch. It was just that kind of city. It sort of reminds me of a modern-day Toronto in some ways. Um, the other thing, it was a walled city, but was, what was interesting about Antioch was that Lots of cities had walls around it for protection, but because of these major ethnic divisions, to keep the ethnicities from this huge city uh, from you know fighting one another or misunderstandings because of culture and and you know communication, they actually had 18 walls. Archaeologists have uh, studied it, and they they said there's eight there was 18 walls to wall off all the parts of the city so the different ethnicities could keep to themselves without you know causing a big uh, fight with one another. Um, So with that background uh, in view, let's read our passage today. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men of Cyprus and Cyrene, who on coming to Antioch spoke to the Hellenists, that's the Greeks, also preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them. And a great number who believed turned to the Lord. The report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he saw the grace of God, he was glad, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, they met with the church and taught a great many people. And in Antioch, the disciples were first called Christians. Now, like any passage of scripture, you can write a hundred different sermons and go a hundred different ways, uh, depending on what parts of the passage uh, you emphasize. But what really stuck out to me and was highlighted to me was how strategic this one, uh, this one move was in the, in the, to change the trajectory and the history of the early church. And it's found in verse 25 in the first part of 26. And I want to zero in on this. In the middle of this revival, Barnabas, went to Tarsus to look for Saul. That's the Apostle Paul, his other name. And when he had found him, he brought him to Antioch. What we see here is a divine placement of Paul and the, res- and as the, resulting, and the resulting impact. And this is what we're going to look at. Paul, he was the right person. He was in the right place. And he was pursuing the right purpose. And that's what we're going to look at and then see how this applies to our lives today. The right person. 
Now, everybody is created with various gifts and abilities. Um, some have more opportunity to develop their gifts and abilities than others. But all of us, all of us have these innate giftings and callings that God has for us. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, creating in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Barnabas was able to somehow discern from what he knew of Paul that he was a unique person and had something, that God had something for him special uh, to do uh, with his life. Um, historians say that Paul perhaps was the most educated person of his day. And even today, as was mentioned in other sermons, uh, one of the top 10, top five most influential people that have ever uh, lived. Um, God calls everybody. I mean, he calls fishermen, he calls moms and dads, he calls everybody. But he also calls some people with great gifts and abilities to use those gifts and abilities to extend the kingdom of God. God actually called the, the smartest man of his day into full-time ministry planting churches. Um, God uses everybody, but we need to allow God to use those especially gifted to bless the body and advance the kingdom. You know, sometimes we think, well, you know, if I can't get a good degree and I can't get a good job, I could always go into the ministry. You know, it's uh, you know, that is not, I believe, you know, God's best. One of the, I was thinking in our ministry, God has really blessed the every nation churches and ministries. And even though we haven't been around that wall that long, uh, we've uh, branched out into more than 80 nations and powerful things have happened. And I think one of the reasons why is because from the beginning, our leaders did not shrink back from calling the brightest and the best and those with great potential. Um, I'm thinking of our pastor in Philadelphia. I won't give his name, but um, not only was he a campus minister after he um, graduated, but he also uh, went back to school and got a PhD in mathematics from Rutgers University, which is a very top uh, mathematics school. Uh, he was shooting for Harvard, I think, and they turned him down, so he had to accept Rutgers. But I mean, and, and I'm thinking of the couple that we had the privilege of discipling and doing premarital counseling in uh, Nashville, our good friends, Stephen Christie, both of them doctors, medical degrees from Vanderbilt University, and they're serving in our church plant in Cincinnati along with uh, Dr. Brian Taylor, and what a blessing they have been. Uh, sometimes uh, Steve was bivocational in the ministry and in uh, in serving uh, with his medical uh, degree, but you know, you have people like this in your church, and it helps. You know, their gifts, their abilities, their, it helps lift the body of Christ and move it forward uh, in its in its in its mission, um, our own Richard Kidger, you know, graduated with a honors degree from the University of Cape Town, South Africa's top university, and decided to put that degree to the side and instead of market biz for business purposes to uh, advance the kingdom of God in in the ministry. And and I'm not saying everybody has to go full time in the ministry. That that's not what I'm saying. What I am saying though is every God calls everybody to step up. Um, just a, uh, a couple of years ago, I was do helping with a, uh, 
Ministry Partnership Development. It's our fundraising training for young people going into the ministry. And it was in Vancouver, but there also was a couple of people from the States. And I got to know a young guy from Boston who um, was going out to raise his missionary support and to become a campus ministry. And I said, oh, Boston, where, where, did, you, where did you graduate? Harvard. Um, you know, I'm wondering if his parents really thought that's what he was going to do with his Harvard education is go raise support and go onto a campus to see other people one to Jesus Christ. But these are just some modern day examples of the type of caliber. And Paul was actually beyond any of those that I've mentioned, even though that I love my every nation friends. Um, <laughs> secondly, uh, it's not just Paul wasn't just the, that right person to come to Antioch, but it was the right place as well. I believe that Paul would have had a successful ministry if he continued in Tarsus where he was from. I think he would have done a, had a great church. I think he would have done a great job. But it took the wisdom and perseverance of Barnabas to go find Paul and get him to Antioch. And I was thinking about this. You know, it's not like today. You know, when you, that's why I give the... Um, you know, the miles from these cities and things. It wasn't like, you know, Barnabas picked up his smartphone and said, hey, Paul, yeah, bro, it's it's Barnabas here down in Jerusalem. Hey, I was just wondering, you know, I think it'd be awesome if you, like, maybe would just meet me up in um, Antioch. Hey, I'll e-transfer you some funds. You can catch a, you know, you can catch a train. It, it'll only take you a couple hours. And, uh, yeah, great. We'll see a couple days. Yeah, great. Okay. See, see Paul, see you in a couple of days. But it wasn't like that. Uh, he literally had to make a long trek about two. Uh, so Barnabas first had to travel 500 kilometers. You know, the fastest transportation in those days, I guess, was a horse or a donkey or a chariot if you're rich. I don't know. But it wasn't easy. And uh, then he had to go another 200 to go to the city of Tarsus. And it's, he didn't know. And it said he had to look for him. Uh, you know, I mean, it's just interesting, but Barnabas had something in his heart that said there is a divine placement for this man. It's this man, and it's not in Tarsus. It's in Antioch. It's in this third biggest city. It's in this multicultural city. If Paul got there with the abilities that he had, the languages he knew, the culture he knew, the the, the, the amount of just breadth of knowledge that he had and he had had the encounter with the Lord and, and he's gone from being a persecutor of the church to now, you know, a follower of Jesus, Jesus and an advance an advancer of the uh, mission. Now that's a pretty dramatic placement, a place, but God calls us to a place too. First Corinthians 12, 18 says, but God has in fact, place the parts or the members in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. It's so important that you don't just shop for churches and jump around. God places you into a specific body for a specific purpose. And, and, and it's not just it's for what you can get from that, but it's also what you can give. I was thinking of Jesus when he talked about being a vine, and a vine is a whole bunch of branches. So he said, you're the branches, I'm the vine. It's interesting that, you know, the life-giving sap of a vine 
actually comes from the other branches. And then the whole thing is the vine. So it's, it's like without the branches, yes, Jesus gives us his divine sap or his divine life directly, but he also gives it through the people that we're placed and connected with and do life with in the church. Um, and, and it's, it's for everybody. Uh, I received some of this life giving encouragement just in the last couple of weeks with, um, I'll share with you a couple texts. I won't say who it's from, but here's one that came two weeks ago to me. And I really needed it this day. Okay. It wasn't, I wasn't doing great emotionally this day, but it said, thank you for being a mentor and like a father to me. I'm really grateful for you and everybody in the small group. You know, when you get that, it's like, okay, let's keep going. This is worth it after all. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to, you know, put out my resume. Um, here's, here's another one that came just a few days ago. And, and I don't get these all the time and I'm not fishing for more. So, <laughs> but they are an encouragement. And I, I hope that you've received encouragements like this too. This is from someone in our church. So I was talking to a friend who was telling me that her church uses a phone to live stream their church services. And it just made me think how much I appreciate Burr and the rest of the pastoral team's resourcefulness for working with the little we have to create an amazing production on Sunday. So for those of you who shared those encouragements, but that's what it means to be a part of the body and to be placed in is that you're giving and receiving encouragement. You are actually looking out for one another. You're not letting people, you know, just, just go off. And there's something about also about a longevity in relationships. Um, every nation churches and ministries global doesn't only have our mission statement about campuses and planting churches, but it also has some core values. And one of them has to do with family and relationship. And I want to read it to you. Uh, here it is. Because the family is the foundation and validation of ministry, we refuse to sacrifice our marriages and our children on the altars of temporal excess success. And because we believe God has called us to be a spiritual family, we embrace community, reject the idea of disposable relationships, and choose to walk in love, respect, and unity. Uh, when I was a 19-year-old student at UBC, Rice Brooks, one of the co-founders of this movement, led me uh, back to the Lord and into fully uh, serving Jesus with all of my heart. And uh, I'm 59 now, so 40 years we're still connected still the same group through all the ups and downs, through all this hurts and confusions and misunderstandings, you know, we've been able to, by God's grace has have a story. And that's a legacy that I want to pass down uh, to my children. My dad was also faithful in his context and passed that legacy uh, down to me. People who hop around just don't grow. Finally, uh, third point, the right purpose. Uh, in Antioch, there, oh, there's many things that the Antioch got right and really broke through. But one of the things was they were actually able to tear down literally, in a sense, those 18 walls. And they went from mono-ethnic to a multi-ethnic. Um, they became like the first full-on multi-ethnic uh, church. You know, so much so they defied the categories because... In, in all these different um, cultural groups, they all had their own religion. 
You know, and you, we see that today. If you're from a certain country, there's a good chance you'll be Buddhist. If you're from this country, there's a good chance you'll be Muslim. If you're from this country, etc. They had that in Antioch. But as people were getting saved in all of these sectors, they, were, they called them the wall crossers of Antioch. They would come out of the walls and they would all begin to worship Jesus together from all these peoples. And the people were like, heck, we don't know what to call these people. And so they said, well, and it was a little bit derogatory. Ah, they're just Christians. And so, but they took it as a badge of honor because Christ came to reconcile the world and reconcile people and pull people instead of, instead of apart from one another, Christ's blood draws the people uh, back together. And, um, it's just one of the amazing things, uh, that the Antioch church was able to break through on. Um, so whereas Peter, if you look back in some of the other sermons, it was the revelation to Peter that God was welcoming people into the family of God. But at Antioch, the church actually leveraged diversity for kingdom impact. It wasn't just you're in the family. It was, we celebrate this and you bring something to the table. It's not about assimilation. It's about integration. Assimilation is everybody become a carbon copy. Be just like me. Integration is saying, what redemptive gift do you and your culture bring into this? And let's add it in. And so it's, it's, it's beautiful when that happens. But when I was thinking about this, it is, it is hard to do. I mean, just think if you're, if you're from another country and you've immigrated, it's stressful to live outside your culture because you're always explaining yourself you're not being understood properly. It's just hard. And it's easier just to be among people in the same culture. Uh, and, and so let me, uh, for those of you who are, haven't done much in the way of, you've probably experienced culture shock, but maybe you haven't actually studied. I was talking at our recent um, leadership, we had a leadership team barbecue at our house a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking to one of the members of our leadership, Edson Tan, and, and uh, he used the word power distance. And I said, Edson, how do you know power distance? Because I've been studying about dimensions of culture and things. He goes, oh, you know, we studied it in school. Edson, uh, I, I think it was when he was taking his MBA. And so um, for those of you who, uh, you know, aren't familiar with this. I just want to put up one dimension of culture called power distance. And the reason I want to put this up on the screen is because I want you to see just how different, not right or wrong, but how just different cultures look at even the idea of key differences between the amount of power that different people hold in a society. So I'll put this up on the screen. So this is key differences between low and high power distance society. And this is just one dimension of culture. So if you're in a low power distance culture, which is more Western, inequalities among people are minimized. If you're in a high power distance uh, number, inequalities among people are expected and desired. Uh, all members in e of society treat each other as, as equals. Whereas in a high power distance culture, respect is basic and lifelong virtue. So you see more of a stratification. Uh, low power decentralization is popular versus centralization is popular. Subordinates are to be consulted. Subordinates are expected to be told what to do. Um, 
you know, look at these. Manual work is the same status as office work. White collar jobs are valued more than blue collar. I'll, I can't. I'll, I'll, I'll go down to the last one because I, I don't want to give a lesson on culture necessarily. But I'll go down to the last one. There are small income differentials in society, further reduced by the tax system. The other one, there are large income differentials in society further increased by the tax system. So anyway, and this is just one dimension of culture. So you can, if you're wondering why, if you're from another culture and you come to Canada and you're wondering why, there's, there's, there's many dimensions of why it's different. And it's not a right or wrong. It's just, and there's no right or, everybody thinks their culture is neutral. And then everybody else is different, sort of like an accent. You know, I go to the southern U.S., and, and I go, wow, you guys got such a southern accent. They go, you're the one with the accent. <laughs> so it's, it's a perspective. Okay, so the, the, the somehow by the grace of God, they, pers they must have persevered. Knowing what I know about cultural differences, they must have persevered to be able to get that powerful multi-ethnic church. And it was in their leadership. Um, right purpose. From scattered descent, if you look, um, you know, even in our the beginning of our passage today, it talked about the scattering after the stoning of Stephen. And everywhere the people were scattered, there was a sense of, you know, the gospel being preached and it was being advanced that way. But it's very interesting. Antioch took it to the next level and said, let's just not wait for persecution. Let's go. Let's strategize. Let's pray. Let's think. You know, how are we going to extend the kingdom, not just wait for the next persecution? Hey, we've got this, you know, third biggest city in the world. God's moving. We're, we've got all these diverse gifts. We got, you know, Apostle Paul, you know, double PhD from Harvard and MIT, you know, who, whatever, you know, in our midst. Let's ride this guy and let's go. And what was so interesting is that um, they went to the point where they, we're praying and fasting. And you know, at the end uh, of this teaching and building up of that church, I'm skipping ahead to Acts 13. We'll look at it later. <laughs> but they were praying and fasting, this multi-ethnic leadership team from people from Africa and the Middle East and Greeks and Jewish background and all these. And, and the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul. And they laid hands on them and they sent them out. And uh, up into what was Asia there, a lot of Turkey. But here's here's some of the New Testament churches. Look at, these are just the first few. When you see, read your Bible and you read, you know, the book of Ephesians and you read these books of the letters, Colossae, these were all cities that the Antioch church send out, sent out Paul and others for church planting and winning these cities to the Lord and seeing churches established. This, folks, is part of our church history and legacy. And I believe that we have a lot to learn and pick up the mantle. We have early church prayers that we don't want to forget those who have gone behind, before us. But we also don't want to forget the rich history of the church and the advance of the gospel. Because God has called us to be a part of that in our day. So as I conclude, it's, a fa it's Father's Day. And I'm a father. And I'd like to give you some fatherly advice. There's competing purposes all around us. But in the end, only the purpose of God will bring lasting fulfillment into our lives. I know from listening to the young adults in our small group and others, when you go to work 
it's like most of the talk is how are you going to, you know, save for down payment and how are you going to get a house? It's like, it becomes like just this thing. And I'm not saying you shouldn't, you know, buy a house and save for retirement, but I live in a neighborhood where people have a house and have saved for retirement. I'm telling you, it didn't make them happy. It doesn't make them happy or, and sometimes well, is it a bad? No, but it, if it replaces or competes or you have to compromise a kingdom value to get an earthly one, I'm telling you as a father, one day you'll look back and you'll regret it. Um, you know, our, or another purpose, we're going to make our kids the smartest, best athletes, best dancers, best singers, best at math, best at arts, best painters, best at hockey, best at soccer. You know, people like and, and like making your kids great can become all encompassing. The Bible doesn't say make your kids great. It says train up in a child in the way that he should go. And so there can be this competing thing of somehow you've got to have the most awesome kids. No, you just have to have you just have to love them and find out their purpose and send them out. So it, it, it's always tricky when I talk about these things. You're saying, wow, are you against houses? Are you against retirement? Are you against kids? <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, or here's some newer ones that I've heard. And this is hard for me to relate to. You know, my purpose is to be famous. I want to be a YouTuber or a gamer or an influencer. And... Um, you know, if God's will is for you to have a YouTube channel that takes off, it's not, but, but it can't be if I just have this, I'll be happy. Because you won't. Yeah. You won't. So the question for me is not just, is Paul in the right person, in the right place, at the right time, but are you? Are you being the person that God has called you to be exercising the gifts and abilities that he has given you? Are you placed into his body? Are you on the fringes? If you are, are on the fringes, get back, get back into community, get back into the life giving flow that you need both to receive and to give. And what about, have you been influenced by the world's goals so much that kingdom goals have been set aside? Come back. Because here's the thing, and this is my fatherly advice. What you want to hear and what I want to hear at the end of our lives is Jesus say this to us. It'll be on the screen. Well done. Good and faithful servant. That's ultimately what I encourage you to shoot for, for your life. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Every Nation GTA. Thanks for joining us. For more information, visit our website at everynationgta.org.